Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 6, Episode 23, Leap of Faith. Mary, what happened this week? Kelly talks about her dad and Colin in therapy and leaves the session wanting to know how Colin's doing and if he's staying clean. David tells Kelly he's heard through Steve that Colin is doing Val and Kelly gets really sad. But Donna and Claire visit her and bring Peach Pit, Peach Pie, and meet Tara and hot Dr. Greg. Tara tells Kelly she hopes she can be friends with them too. She also gives her some friendly advice, that she's probably less upset about Colin moving on than she is about who he's moving on with. One thing about Colin real quick. He lets Danny Five commandeer his van for a drug deal. Cops chase some guys into where he's parked, and Colin's like, damn, I have coke on me, I'd better drive away in a panic. So the cops chase him and eventually catch him, and the whole thing is on TV where Kelly watches from rehab crying while Tara watches her in an off-putting way. Also, Colin misses his dinner date with Val because he got arrested for being dumb. Did it surprise anyone else that Colin drives a van? No, I mean, I wouldn't say, like, surprised isn't the word. More confused as to why he drives a van, you know? I rationalized it as canvases are big. Yeah, that's kind of what I came to at the end. But when they first pulled up in the van, my first note was like, where did he get a van? Yeah, I was just like, I feel like this boy would drive a Toyota. Or just, I mean, to be fair, we've only seen them drive Kelly's car Mm -hmm. when they were together. So Kelly was probably like, I can't be seen in this. (laughs) She definitely said that. Oh, God. Or like even having a nicer car because his sugar mama bought it for him. Yeah, that's true. But he gave that up. So maybe she was paying the car payment and he had to get what he could get. I mean, it's not a bad van. It's just not what I expected. It's just a gross van. (laughs) (laughs) So first scene of the show, we start off at the rehab center. Kelly's in therapy, which is great. Um, I actually kind of would love and I don't think they will do this but I would love if we saw several episodes mm-hmm. with just a scene or two of Kelly and therapy I think this show could really do well with that um because not only can they accomplish a lot of like exposition with it but they can also obviously talk about and process feelings um I think when shows have done this I I think I've always enjoyed it like Mr. Robot did it a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, Supergirl did it when James got shot. Like, so many shows. I'm blanking on more shows than that, but those are just what I've watched recently. Yeah, I mean, The Sopranos, that was, like, yeah. a major plot point for the entire series. I just watched the episode in Riverdale where they're all seniors and they all have to get therapy from the school mm. counselor. Yep. Which was a beautiful episode. It's like, yeah. yes, these children need therapy yeah I mean anytime you do it it's like it just it almost makes you do a mini little study on the actual character so it feels like we the audience are more connected to them the character Mm -hmm. yeah I mean in this moment you know the therapist starts asking her about Colin you know 
wanting to understand how she went from not doing any drugs, not wanting to do any drugs to being in rehab. And, you know, Kelly says all these things that I think we knew, you know, it was Mm -hmm. in my drawer because of Colin, but I wouldn't have used it if my dad hadn't left. But then she says something where she's like, it seemed only natural that I would join Colin in doing drugs. And I think that's interesting. And I also appreciate how she's, you know, working through all of her emotions with her dad. And it's actually a a confirmation of what we've often thought about Kelly, that she is susceptible to joining in. Um, She's a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. And even though she's a perfectionist, I think she seeks attention more than she wants to please people. Like, I think it's, or I guess I should say, she wants attention and to please people more than she wants perfectionism Mm -hmm. because she's willing to do whatever, you know, this influential person is in in her life, whatever they want. Um, And she's willing to seek, like get their approval and by any means necessary, even if whatever that means is, is not perfect. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, think about how last season ended with her saying, I choose me, and then immediately, like, falls into Colin's spell. Yeah. Like, 100%. That's, that's just a part of her that, yeah, I don't think she has been able to dissect before. And now that she's, you know, in this rehab, she's got four weeks of therapy. She's got time for it. And I really hope that, like, this is her turning point and she doesn't get trapped in another cult. Yeah. I will say, I think a little bit of growth, kind of like you mentioned, is like she's becoming aware that she is like this, that this is kind of her weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she also admits that she feels sorry for her dad. I think that's almost like her five state, her version of five stages of grief. It's like, you know, she might be susceptible to this person and then she gives in and then she gets hurt. And then maybe that last bit, that acceptance bit is feeling sorry for or pitying the person who wronged her right because she's not there with Colin she's not there at all she's still in the I'm really hurt by this person phase and or stage rather and so I think with her dad this has happened so often she's not necessarily free of you know his spell or his trappings or whatever you want to call it but she is at least at the point where she can kind of recognize that yes he does this And I don't want any part of it. Mm -hmm. That's actually like a really good segue into the next scene because David shows up and, you know, they have a little bit of a conversation, but then Kelly asks him about Colin. I was like, have you heard from him? Have you talked to him? And first of all, I'm thinking, why would anybody talk to him? Yeah, he has no connection to the group except through Kelly and then except through Val but nobody really, like, let's be real, talks to Val that much and dependent from David at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and especially with everything that happened to Kelly, like, you know the gang is going to blame Colin because he's the one that enabled the behavior. Definitely. 100%. Sorry if you can hear Noodles drinking water in the background. She just downed that bully stick and was like, I'm thirsty. <laughs> and... You know, so David, I think it's fascinating that David does tell her 
that Colin is with Val, that he heard it from Steve, that they're together, and, like, I don't know, drops this bomb on her when she's in rehab? Like, this is not something that she should be worried about right now. Right. Exactly. Like, it's a fascinating thought because on the one hand, you appreciate David's, like, honesty and not wanting to further drive a wedge or risk anything driving a wedge between him and Kelly by being honest and forthcoming. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a, a, it's just a rock and a hard place, I think, because mm-hmm. it's like you tell her to be honest, but it's something that you know is going to hurt her. So how, how much do you say? And at this point, how much is it confirmed? Like, is it right? Even he heard it from Steve. Does anybody actually know this for sure? Well, and that's the thing. Like later on, you know, we hear David and Steve or earlier, we hear Steve and David talk about it where Steve just kind of brushes it off. I'm like, how did Steve find out of all people? My only guess is because they live together and share a bathroom. Mm, good point. But you would think she would have been a little more uh, covert about it. And also he was just in Mammoth. Yeah. He's busy. He yeah. does things. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was a weird choice to have Steve be the one that knows and not, I don't know, anybody else. Yeah, I mean, you have to assume that Brandon knows as well, but they don't really bring that up. The only other thing that I really want to point out in this scene is how much more out of her shell Tara seems. Mm-hmm. Like, she seems much more animated around Kelly this episode. Definitely. It was like the pottery class or whatever they took last episode just like and I think to her revealing little bits about her past and Kelly doing the same she's like okay you're a person I can talk to you're not just my like rehab roommate you know yeah I mean when David shows up she like makes a comment about how she has to go to therapy Mm -hmm. and then when David's like oh yeah been there done that and she's like yeah we're all crazy here whatever she says like Absolutely would not have said any of that a week ago. Well, and I think, too, she's kind of – she might be doing that thing that sometimes we as humans do when we're not sure how somebody's going to react to something where she almost, like, overcompensates, like, oh, i got to go get my head shrunk. But the second David says, oh, yeah, I've I've done that before and and can kind of relate to it, she's like, oh, yeah, like, you and I are the same. You know, it's almost like you make those associations in your head. Mm Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it just kind of, like, disarms her a little bit. Yeah, she's definitely feeling some companionship around Kelly and her friends and family mm-hmm. that she hasn't felt before, clearly. Totally. And, you know, so David tells Kelly about Colin and Val, and she's got this, like, absolute deer in the head. Like, she's in shock mm-hmm. from the news. And then the next time we get this storyline, Colin and Val are looking at the stars outside of his loft and once again bringing up the one trip they went on when they were teenagers. And I don't care. It just – it does it seem to you – because this happened last time that they were together too. It seems like they misremember everything about their trip to Europe. It – Yeah. 
it feels like they got it right like the very first time that Colin showed up and they were like, oh, yeah, we know each other. Here's the story. And then since then, they're like, were you wearing pants? Were we looking at stars? Yeah. It's like they Val says they slept outside because the bus broke down or something. And then Colin's like, no, there was Aurora Borealis. <laughs> like, two things can be true, my dude. Like, what? what well, is your point? <laughs> and they clearly have nothing to talk about because they're looking at the stars. And Val's like, this reminds me of 10 years ago when I saw stars. <laughs> Not like, like last night when I looked out my window. <laughs> yeah. Like, girl, you live in suburbia. Yeah. I think you're fine. And before that, you lived in Buffalo. Like, I don't know what air pollution was like, but you've seen stars. And it was just weird, too, because, like, you're right. They don't have that much in common. And then Colin all of a sudden is just like, hey, if I'm with you, I'm with you. Like, he's basically saying he's going to be monogamous if, like, if Val wants them to be together. And I guess at that moment she decides it's okay for them to bang as long as Kelly's out of the picture. She can't be sharing him. They can be Eskimo sisters, but she can't be sharing him. I just, yeah, she doesn't respond to him other than just like, bye. Oh, I'm going to bed. Aren't you coming? Mm-hmm. They're not in a healthy relationship. They don't know how to be in a relationship with each other. Well, and it just seems like it's kind of one of those things where the buildup or the anticipation is more attractive than the actual thing. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, I don't think they have anything in common. They're just two kind of like fringe, like members of the gang. Yeah. Who might bond over that. It just reminded me of in scrubs when JD and Elliot get together the one time after she like breaks off her engagement and she's like, I'm yours. You won. And then they go to hug and his little voice in his head goes, oh, no, I don't want it anymore. Oh, God. Yeah. Like that feels exactly what it is that Colin is just like, you've won. You've got me. I'm all in. And Val's just like, I was just here for the casual hookup, actually. Yeah. I mean, she also just got out of a more serious relationship. A very intense one. I mean, that's the first guy that she said was friends with her. Yeah. He wrote her a poem. She got him a friendship bracelet. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to make fun of the friendship bracelet. I just love that it's a friendship bracelet and not like a, you know, promise ring or something. (laughs) But yeah, they're just weird together. Yeah, they're weird. Everything is like really soap opera-y between them. Which is insane to say when we're watching a soap opera and I think for me like I don't know if it was this scene or no I think it was this scene I had a thought and I was like man Tiffany Thiessen is a way better actress like (laughs) and I really feel bad for saying that because the actor who plays Colin he is not bad like by any means I know he doesn't do a ton after this. Like, the only thing I remember him from is the Dr. Pepper college football commercials, which I actually kind of love him in. But there's just, I guess, and maybe this is his portrayal of Colin, so maybe I should cut him some slack. But there just seems to be a little bit more ease with Valerie. And the way Tiffany plays her, like, is just so much more natural. And and Colin is just kind of like, well... 
I saw I saw Aurora Borealis. Like it just seemed a little forced. You know what I'm saying? I almost wonder if they're leaning into that on purpose. Sure. And they might be. Yeah, to just be like, this is wrong. And like mm-hmm. they can't really play off each other, so we're gonna force them to try. And then Tiffany Thiessen is just like, Well, I'm gonna do it. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my headcanon. That's what I'm choosing. But then, you know, we go back to the rehab and Kelly is just like in a funk. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she's been having her therapy. She's been trying to work through her feelings, but I don't think she expected this to happen to her. Yeah. And Tara is with her and she's like, well, you're just upset that he's going out with someone that you can't stand. Like, you're not upset that he has moved on. It's that he moved on to Val. Which I think is a very fair point. Absolutely. Because I I think, I think it's just a couple of, like, I think it's that and everything is heightened right now. Mm-hmm. This was the gamble that David took by telling her, right? Like, this was the... On the one hand, you know, there's blah, blah, blah. And this is the other hand. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing to distract her from this news other than, like, working on herself, which, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just don't want to do when you get bad news. You just want to, like, put on MTV and eat a bowl of popcorn and just not think about it. Totally. But I do appreciate Tara being, like, a legit friend here and, like, telling her to try to let it go. Like, he's not worth it. Like... Lord, if anybody was going to say it, I'm glad someone finally did. He is not worth it. But what's like kind of scary, honestly, is that Kelly then says it makes her want to kill Valerie. Yeah. What was that? Like, that is an escalation. And it was said in such a serious tone, like, and not an over-exaggerating, heightened state. It was very, like, kind of easily said yeah and I think what always fascinates me in these moments is that she says that about Val but not about Colin like there's two people in this relationship Colin knew how Kelly felt about Val 100% and like she's mad at them or she's just mad at Col or (laughs) she's just mad at Val not at Colin yeah which, well, we know, I mean, Valerie is the devil <laughs> to yeah. Kelly's angel, according to Kelly. But, I mean, like, she says she feels humiliated, like they meant nothing to him, and then mm-hmm. says she wants to kill Val. And I was like, you're processing your emotions. I understand yeah. that. I don't get it, but I understand it. Well, and I think, too, like, going back to what Kelly said in therapy, she says that for whatever reason, she's still drawn to Colin. She can't explain it, but she is drawn to him. So for me, she still kind of has rose-colored glasses around him to an extent. You know, I Mm -hmm. think she'll say, like like she did last time when he visited her in rehab, she said no. She's like, this is bad. Like, you can't see me. Like, blah, 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 blah. You need to get clean. But to other people, he's only wronged her. He hasn't done anything else to other people. And plus Val sucks. So she's going to manipulate him, you know? I always think it's so fascinating the way that people, like, on the outside of these relationships talk about it. Like, I want to bring it up when we get to the David and Val stuff later on. Mm-hmm. 
we have this quick jump back outside rehab where Colin calls Val. They're making plans. And then he goes outside and Danny Five is outside his house with drugs. And he just does the drugs on his front porch. So I will admit last time or yeah, last time we saw him, I didn't realize that was cousin Bobby. And now you see it. Yeah. in like the light of day with like the camera doing a close up on him. I'm like, oh, my God, he really did Clark Kent me. Yeah. (laughs) He changed his hair and then like cocked his head to the side and stood up. And we were just like, nope, never seen that man before in my life. Right, man. And it's just this whole thing, like, it takes five seconds to convince Colin to do the drugs. Yes. Like, Colin is like, no, man, I'm straight. And Danny goes, get straight next week. Here you go. Yes. And also, I need a ride to Torrance. I love it's a whole – Colin's like, where's your car? And then Danny just keeps talking and talking and talking. He's like, just give me the ride to Torrance. (laughs) Once-in-a-lifetime deal on these drugs. And also, he Colin's reaction, Torrance. <laughs> I wish I knew anything about California geography to know that I should be upset about this too. I mean, I think it's like decently far away. Like, I'm going to do a quick little search here. I mean, I also Torrance. know that Beverly, West Beverly was like Torrance High School. Right. So, so. from Los Angeles to Torrance is about 45 to 50 minutes. We do Beverly Hills. Yeah, it's like an hour, a little over an hour. Now it's red right now. I I think it's rush hour in LA. It's 5.30 right now. Yeah, but about 20 miles, so. I feel like there's a joke to be made of just like, everything in LA takes you an hour to get there, but I- exactly. I don't know L.A. But all that to say, Colin does agree to this drive because drugs. Mm-hmm. And as always, Colin does drugs and then immediately gets behind the wheel. Always Which drives is, me nuts. Yeah, it's wild. Wild. So we go back to rehab because now Donna and Claire have come to visit. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I really appreciate how many times they show the friends coming to visit Kelly in rehab. Agreed. Yeah. It's, it's, I still am a little annoyed that Brandon hasn't come by. Mm-hmm. I understand it. I'm just still annoyed, but I'm really glad Donna has now come twice that we've seen Claire's here as well. They're showing that. I mean, cause Claire and Kelly had like words between them when yeah. Kelly was high. So it's nice to see that they're still there for her. This is still like her people um, coming in and bringing her peach pie, telling her what's going on in their lives, like keeping her still connected. This is like the most whirlwind trip. Like they come in, they shove the pie at her. Claire tells her that Steve got a motorcycle. Donna says that Hank is Joe without the dreams. (laughs) God. So mean. Ouch. (laughs) And then Dr. Greg comes in and they all talk about how hot he is and then they leave. Like, I swear, if there were papers in the room, you would have seen them like still floating to get to the ground because they came in and out so fast. Yeah. I mean, 
Totally. It was very much like, we're on a television show. This isn't real life. Just wave the hand. It's fine. And like, yeah, Claire's like, I have to go meet the carpet cleaner. Yeah. Like of all of all excuses. I did love Donna's little moment where she's like, well, my mom always tell- told me to marry a doctor. <laughs> I know. Oh, did you notice while they were sitting on the bed and Donna was saying that, that Claire had her fork and it was still wrapped in the napkin? Like she never took the fork out. She was just, I don't know. It was really not. weird to me. Interesting. Like, she just like slid it out a bit. She knew she was leaving. True. True. She was, she was like, "There's the scene is not long enough for me to take <laughs> off the rubber band. I cannot eat this pie. I brought it, but I cannot eat it. Yeah. So wild. Like, Kelly hasn't even touched the pie. She's like yeah. the tiniest bit of crust on her fork. Mm-hmm. And then Tara asks if she can be Kelly's friend, which I think is adorable it that is she adorable. asked. Like, it's a yeah. very, like, I feel like it's a child thing to do to actually ask, but every single person is like, are we friends now? Oh, did, if you haven't happen? thought that for, like, every single friendship you've ever made, you're lying. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do that still. Like, I'm like, oh, crap. Are we still friends? Are we good? Like, because I panic over everything. I'm like, shit, I'm a minute late. Are we still friends? <laughs> no. I feel that so many times. I'm like, I haven't texted them in, like, 48 hours. Are they okay? Do they yeah. still love me? Exactly. Do they think about me? <laughs> So then, this is what I wanted to talk about earlier, where David comes into the peach pit looking for Val. He, like, goes and finds her back in the office, and he's like, I think Val's like, oh, yeah, come in. Have a seat. And he goes, I'm not staying. And Val mm-hmm. goes, oh, then this is a friendly visit. Mm-hmm. And he basically just confronts her at her place of work to be like, I know you're sleeping with Colin. And tells her that Colin dragged Kelly down, so he'll drag her down too, which I just want to say is literally the opposite of what he said when Val was like, Kelly is doing drugs and Colin's going to bring her down. He was like, no, no, Kelly's going to bring Colin up. Right. And they've just like completely flip-flopped where she's just like, yeah. And also – Shouldn't you turn this guy in? Like, I'm sorry. At this point, David, you have done drugs. You know what it's like to have done drugs. You've seen Dylan do drugs. You've seen now your sister do drugs. Why would you even allow... Like, I understand what you're saying. Like, he's going to drag you down too. Well, don't let him. Like, step in here. Tell the cops that Colin has been doing cocaine. I don't know what it takes, but clearly... David Silver and all the other friends, Colin Robbins is bad for the group. <laughs> so let's not let our friends make bad choices. It's just wild to me how they act to all these. They know where Kelly is right now and what mm-hmm. happened to her. And David just comes in acting like this, like acting so accusatory. Mm-hmm. Like you have to know that this wasn't going to work. Right. Well, especially to Valerie, who the second, you know, David mentioned Kelly, her claws come out because she's she's like, well, don't worry. I'm a lot stronger than Kelly is. Yeah. The, the like hatred between Kelly and Val has escalated now because of Colin. And I think part of it, 
probably has to do with the fact that Val got Colin and is just like, well, what do I do with him now? Right. Exactly. Because he is a trash human being. He's mm-hmm. just cute. Artistic. <laughs> Seems kind of romantic at times. Drives a van. Can make a souffle. To be fair, we never saw the end souffle. We don't know if it worked. We don't know if it rose or if it just bubbled right there in the little dish. It's just nice and dense. And he's like, I don't understand what happened. (laughs) Oh, man. And then, of course, after this conversation... We finally get to see where Colin went, if he was on the way to Torrance or not, with Danny Five. And he is. Um, He gets to the area, which clearly looks like some sort of, I don't know, warehousey situation, almost like a construction site in a little way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of a sudden, like, as soon as he parks, Danny Five gets out of the car, out of the van, excuse me. Cars come racing into this area, like two cars that are not cop cars. Three, I think, cop cars. They come racing into it, and all you hear is Colin ADRing, "Shoot, I've got coke" or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> Damn it, I've just, got coke. He says, "I got coke on me." <laughs> yeah. And so, in fact, recognizes that he has coke on him. Unclear if it was like in a vial in his pocket or he spilled it on himself. <laughs> <laughs> But he decides, well, I got to get out of here, too, amongst all of these cars that are also here that will clearly see me peeling away. But that's the right idea. I mean, that's how you know he's currently high. Like, yes, I feel like he probably would have stood a better chance, like, just crawling into the, like, well where his uh, brakes are and trying Mm -hmm. to hide there because... You know, presumably what we hear on the on the TV, because this is a full-on high-speed chase, helicopters everywhere. Like, this was a whole thing that Colin just gets caught up in. Yep. Which, like, I have some questions on, and I really hope they reveal that, like, Danny Five decided to, like, turn him in for immunity of just, like, I will give you someone else. Right. Because I just think that would be an interesting story and, like, probably very real to just let Danny Five get away with it. hmm But it seems like Colin got caught up in this, and they're not all for him and his, like, teeny tiny little gram of coke. Exactly. Like, in the grand scheme of things, obviously hard drugs are hard drugs, but one gram as opposed to what they eventually call on the news as a um, – what do they call it? A drug uh, – no, not a ring. What did they call it? It was like a – Oh, a drug lab or something like that. Like they were busting a drug lab. And yeah, like one gram as opposed to an entire like facility (laughs) where they're either making it, distributing it, storing it, whatever. Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, same thing. Colin is just like, look, I was driving my friend to do this pickup because his car got, you know, booted. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you what I know about him in -hmm. exchange. Like they could do – I mean, literally this is what – Brenda did with the FBI. Right. Oh, my God. Just like, I mean, this is what Joey did in Dawson's Creek. Heartbreaking. Just, one of the most heartbreaking scenes of that entire show was when she lifts up her shirt and shows the wire. Like, oh. But, yeah, it's happened before and it's been done well. So I would actually love if that happened here. 
yeah. And, you know, we don't know. That might still happen. I feel like it'd be really hard to move past what does happen because, yeah, Colin does this whole, like, try to escape. Stupid. Because, like you said, like, five cars Tokyo drifted into this parking lot. Like, they're not going to go after him with, like, the intent of stopping him. Exactly. And the helicopters are following him and the news is narrating exactly what's happening. And the gang is watching this on different TVs around the city going, hey, is that Colin's van? I think that's Colin's van. Hey, doesn't Colin drive a van like that? (laughs) That looks an awful lot like Colin's van. Right? And then they do nail him. And they get him to get out. There is a ground camera that just happens to be right there. I loved that they were like, we will now go to our ground camera where this man (laughs) or, you know, camera person clearly just got like right up in Colin's face. And of course they do that to make sure without a shadow of a doubt, we know it's Colin. And I mean, I'm telling you, they saw the OJ Simpson chase and we're like, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that. (laughs) I got to say, Colin was so bad at leading a high-speed chase. There was one point where he, like, went to move into the left lane, and I was like, Colin, there's a car there. (laughs) You should have gone to the right. I mean, he was high, man. He was high. In that same shot, there was a motorcycle, and it was like, oh, my God, is that Claire and Steve? (laughs) (gasps) I would have died if that was Steve. Oh, my gosh. That would have been a better moment for Steve this episode than when he got. True. But yes, yeah, so Colin is now caught up all in this drug bust um, situation that he, you know, obviously did the drugs, but he is not part of the operation of drugs. So we'll have to see what happens with old Colin. So interesting theory that I just came up with. Okay. Because the story ends where like Kelly has these tears in her eyes. She's like really conflicted and upset about what's happening to Colin. And you see Tara behind her giving her that like weird little evil smirk kind of a thing like she looks Mm. a little too happy that Colin got caught Mm. do you think she was somehow involved in this oh man because I mean think about it it would have taken some orchestration but she and Kelly have group therapy together she could have figured out like that Kelly's drug dealer Sometime between group therapy or staying in the room together, that his name is Danny Five. Mm -hmm. She knows who Colin is. So all she would have to do is like make a call and be like, I can get you guys a bust. And then I get these people out of Kelly's life. I wouldn't put it past them because I know of a storyline we have not yet gotten to. And while it is nothing like this, it is. Kind of like high stakes, far fetched kind of situation. So I'll stop talking about that now. I mean, I just would hate to think they planted this poor, young, innocent girl who's had a terrible life just for the means of like getting Colin Robbins, <laughs> you know? I mean, totally fair. And I didn't even think about it until we were talking earlier and you were like, they need to turn Colin in. Mm-hmm. And then I like, you know, get to the end of my notes where I just wrote, like, Tara is giving a weird smirk. So I was like, okay, I could buy. I mean, Tara has seen some shit. So, yeah, for sure. Like, it could work. I mean, I will say, like, I don't think the nightmares and the, like, background for Tara 
was made up, but I could see the stuff about her parents being made up. Ooh, interesting. Like, what if Danny Five is like her brother? Well, and I mean, <laughs> Harry's eyes just got big. <laughs> I mean, think about the idea that, like, yeah, Tara is supposed to be a runaway. And Kelly is supposed to be a very affluent girl. Like, Mm -hmm. the fact that they ended up in the same rehab is, I mean, TV writing, you know. Yes, of course. TV magic can do whatever. But, like, it's a little sus. It's a little sus. Yeah, I'll buy that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's where that storyline ends is Colin being put on the ground, read his Miranda rights. Kelly's upset. Val is watching it with Steve, and Steve is like, yeah, that's Colin's van. And Val is just like, well, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Damn it. Now is that my responsibility because I slept with him last? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be so funny if she was like, I'm sure I wasn't last. I mean, somebody had to come after me. Right? No, no. This is on you. This is yours now. You deal with it. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, You want to tell us what else happened, Mary? Brandon goes to San Diego with Susan to visit her parents. And Gerald and Ruth are something. The kind of something that asks, are you sleeping with my daughter at the dinner table? Like, first topic of conversation. Susan lies and says no, but then Brandon sneaks up from the basement guest room in the middle of the night and forgets to sneak back down when they're done. Now both their moms have walked in on them in bed in the morning. How cute. Anyway, that turns into a mother-daughter fight that turns out to be more about Susan's late sister, Catherine, than anything else. Luckily, Susan and Ruth have a good long talk, leaving Brandon and Gerald to to have a weird moment at the breakfast table. This is the most awkward family visit ever, and I have watched a lot of Netflix and Hulu Christmas movies that are all about going home to meet the parents over the holidays when you have a weird thing with your siblings. Right. Like, even when they're in the car, you know, Brandon is very chill about this. Like, and I feel like that's right. I feel like Brandon Mm -hmm. gives good parent. Like, yeah. Oh, for sure. He is the guy that you bring home to meet mom and dad. Yes. But Susan is so nervous. She's like, you have to put the top up. My hair is getting messy. My mom doesn't like messy hair. Which, to be fair, Brandon probably should have. Like, because if it were me, I would also be the same way, except I might be more forceful about it and be like, no, put the thing up or I'm going to be mad at you and you don't want me to be mad at you. Not today. What I do really wish had happened, though, is that Susan pulled out a scarf and, like, put the scarf around her head and was very, like... 1920s Hollywood glam about it. Love that idea. But, I mean, this whole scene is just laying the framework that Susan does not have a good relationship with her parents because she mentions that she didn't tell them about how she fell off a mountain and basically had to be airlifted out and put into this brace that is gone now. Mm-hmm. I would just like to say she's not wearing the brace in this episode. Yes. And... She also says that she hasn't been home much since her sister died. Mostly because her parents became insanely overprotective because she even says, like, you know, your oldest daughter goes for a run, doesn't come back. 
you get overprotective. So it's like she mm-hmm. understands it. She just can't be around it. Yeah. I mean, you can understand the behavior, but that doesn't mean that like you're emotionally mature enough to just like let it wash over you. Like that would take totally. so much work. Absolutely. And they end up pulling up to a mansion. Mm-hmm. This place is huge. Massive. And like she's still she's got all the like physical nerves like they're outside the door and she's trying to like smooth out his jacket that just like there's nothing to smooth Mm -hmm. but they go in and ruth is a bitch she's the worst man she's so bad i mean the first thing that happens basically is she comments on susan's hair and is like i guess i'm just not so used to seeing it so carefree She's like the definition of passive aggressive backhanded compliments, but also straight up insults. It's very pilot Gilmore's. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Right? Like the whole like, oh, you take after your father mm-hmm. right in front of your mother and your father's yep. not in the picture. Well, and the difference here, I would say, is that Gerald? Yes. Is that his name? Is like oblivious to the behavior. You know, it's like he doesn't pile on. He doesn't. Now, Ruth, are you going to, you know, rib on them while they just entered the house? Like stuff like that. He doesn't do any of that. He's just like, ah, ha. looks around. Yeah. Like, he's totally like totally oblivious. He's like, the dog's name is Hamlet. <laughs> do you like That's all coffee? I have to contribute to this conversation. <laughs> Did you notice my 1,000 plants? Right? That's that's probably it. He is just like he's gotten into plants since Catherine died, and that's just like how he deals with things. Like his wife is clearly going through grief, and he's just like, in this house, we don't talk about it. Well, and apparently Hamlet only listens to Ruth, so he's like, well, my dog won't listen to me. Maybe my plants will. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying that is not the way to raise a dog where it won't listen to you. No, absolutely not. But I do understand stubbornness. That oh, for I sure. understand. Noodle is extremely stubborn with me and with Nate for that matter. But I will say she probably listens to me more. Anywho, this dog is Scooby-Doo. Is a big dog. <laughs> yeah. Loved it. Me but, too. you know, they split up and Ruth takes Susan aside and is just like, oh, Brandon is so handsome. You you usually go for the intellectual. Which, Which is just, ma'am. Like, what makes you think he can't be both? Also, like, Jonathan is both. And she's just like, I'm just saying that he's probably too good to be true or, like, he's not good or I don't know. Mom is being rude and I hated every moment of it and I was just like, Susan, just go get a cocktail. Try and relax. Deep breaths. After this, you're done for like three months. And I think that says so much because what what would you say? The the Brandon, Susan, if they were existing in real life, they'd be Gen Xers? I think so. I think so too. Because I would say, let's see, it's 90. Yeah, because elder millennials – like, technically, I think that's, like, 82. 
I think they okay. moved millennial or I just never paid attention. And if it's 96 and they're 21. Then it's 75. Yeah. Okay. So they're like end of the Gen Xers. They are kind of like the almost the forgotten generation a little bit because they were absolutely latchkey. Mm-hmm. And when it came to mental health, or I guess when it still comes to mental health, when it comes to uh, parent-kid dynamics, like all that kind of stuff, they just kind of got the short end of the stick and never told was told how to process it or how to deal with it. They were just kind of like, this is how it is, and this is – I can't do anything to change it. So, So like what you said, just get through this, take a deep breath, go get a cocktail. This is how mother is. After this, I'm done for however long. That's like 100%, I think, what a Gen Xer would feel at this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, they came literally right after boomers who, you know, took a while to figure out their things. And I think it's because, like, multiple generations have come behind them and we're all slowly realizing that, like, the way that we demonized mental health and, you know, just invented toxic masculinity in this world mm-hmm. is just bad. Like, yeah. we done goofed we got to fix it for real and it just gets really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because they jump to dinner where Gerald has made paella and the largest bowl of peas I have ever seen in my life (laughs) well and it had to be Catherine's favorite dish they couldn't just make like steaks on the grill couldn't have been Gerald's favorite food or even Susan's because she's the guest of honor. Like, Right? She's right there. Yeah. Had to be Catherine's favorite dish. But Brandon is wonderful the entire time. He is like, oh, thank you so much for the meal. It looks wonderful. You know, my compliments to the chef. And then she says, oh, Gerald did it. And he's like, oh, well, then my compliments to you. Like, he's so picture perfect boyfriend coming home to meet the parents. And... Ruth just shits on him completely. I mean, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure at one point she's like, why'd you want to meet us? Yeah. And Susan's like, um, because it's serious between us. Also, while you're at it, he's a Democrat. <laughs> yeah. And then Gerald is like, we're not talking about politics. Or no, Ruth says we're not talking about politics or religion. And then Gerald says, so that leaves sex and television. And I got to be honest, at first I was like, television. I mean, yeah, I'm I call ready. <laughs> I'm ready for television. Dibs. <laughs> Pick a show. Pick a cable network. I will talk about it. Oh, who shot D- JR? Did that just happen? Like, <laughs> I will do it. But it just like, yeah, it gets real weird. There's a moment where they talk about how Ruth likes to give Shakespeare quizzes. And I do love Brandon being like, well, I don't know my Macbeth from my McDonald's. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. And then he perfectly quotes Hamlet later. Hilarious. Right? Like, he's wonderful. And you can tell, like, he's a little bit nervous, right? And he doesn't want to overcommit. Because I could Mm. see Brandon thinking in his head, well, if I say I'm into Shakespeare, she's going to quiz me on, like, Twelfth Night, which I've never read, or King Lear, which I've never read, or anything but Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, it's like anything but Romeo and Juliet, Hamlet, and Macbeth. Then, But I can't even say Macbeth because that's a long one. Also, I have a joke. (laughs) Like... I could just see those wheels turning in his head. He literally moves that fast, and he's just like, and we're going to ease the tension mm-hmm. and stick the landing. Thank you. And then Ruth goes, all I want to know is, are you sleeping with my daughter? And his face, 
he just like goes pale like color drips he's like uh <laughs> and soon's like oh no we're not Mm-mm. Now, what is sex <laughs> so later that night susan and gerald and brandon are having a moment together and gerald makes a comment about the empty nest thing which i think is interesting because their kids have been out of the house for like a couple of years now mm-hmm. like i don't think it was the empty nest thing i think it was grief from yeah, your for daughter sure. but also explains the plants. Mm-hmm. But then they start talking about how Catherine's room has not changed. And it's not healthy to leave it the way it is. And how they immediately change Susan's. Yeah. But can't change Catherine's because, as Gerald calls it, it's a sanctuary for Ruth. Which, on the one hand, I get it. Like, I totally understand and can sympathize, like, God, it's got to be awful to lose a kid. I cannot mm-hmm. fathom what that must be like. And so on the one hand, I totally understand not wanting to change the room because if you change the room, all the memories go with it, right? Like, suddenly it's it's no longer Catherine's room. It's just a room that means nothing. Whereas mm-hmm. if you keep it as is, you hold on to Catherine. And, but yeah, it's, it's I mean, it. It's not healthy in the sense that if you're not able to process your feelings and process your grief and hold on to what you can, but let go what you, you know, what you should. Yeah. That's when it's unhealthy. Yeah. And I think that's the underlying thing that we are supposed to take from this is that her mom has not been able to process her grief and is still just like acting out in these bad behaviors Mm -hmm. and not changing her room because she's not doing anything to process. She's just ignoring it and leaving the room the same and treating Susan and her boyfriends pretty badly. And it's really interesting too, that like, it doesn't even really seem like there's pressure on Susan unless there is. And we just didn't hear about it this time because it was all about Brandon since he was there. But like, you wonder if there's any pressure on Susan in school and the paper and all that because everything we've heard from Susan's perspective has been related to a boy, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, later on when, um, you know, Brandon and Susan are talking after Gerald goes to bed, you know, first Brandon gets upset about Susan lying to her parents about them sleeping together. But really, you know, it's because she had told them about the abortion, which is related to Jonathan in this sense. And they mm-hmm. didn't ha- handle it well, understandably, like – Understandably to an extent, right? Um, And since Catherine died, it was all just like a big kind of tailspin. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting that it's only in relation to Susan's boyfriends. I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, to be the editor of the paper and do so well in school and win awards and all of this like perfection stuff that she does Mm-hmm. is probably a coping mechanism to be like, if I do all these things right, there's nothing that she can say to tear me down. 100%. Because I fixed it all. Totally. I mean, God. God, this feels so much like a therapy session I literally just had about, <laughs> you know, how if you're the one who does all the right things and says all the right things and pleases everyone and 
doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, is just kind of the calm and the storm where everything else around you is just chaos, then you're okay. Then it's okay. Then, but it doesn't give you space to deal with things like rejection and things like boundaries and all of the stuff. So you can't even process what's happened to you, much less what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. And so I feel, so, I feel for Susan so bad in this moment because I feel like so many people that we know, and especially our generation and Gen Xers too, have felt like this. So on the one hand, I'm almost like the writers feel this way. Oh, I'm they, sure. they've been here. This is their therapy. Is it? It isn't it like a joke that nobody wants their kid to be a Hollywood writer? Yeah. Like, Look, mom, I wrote this amazing piece of television. Love me. Exactly. But I mean, you know, Brandon makes this comment and Susan tells him that her parents didn't handle her abortion well. And, you know, he picks up on that really easily and is like, okay, just like, please fill me in next time. Yes. But then Susan, like, yeah, kind of flips a switch and bounces back to fun Susan and mounts him (laughs) and is just like, sneak into my room later. And he says, all righty. Oh, my God. He does another okie doke. It... (laughs) I was so so excited. I was so happy. (laughs) I just, I think we're seeing Brandon at his best with Susan. I mean, God, like, yeah, the fact that he's like, man, I don't really care that you're lying to your parents. I get it. Like what you're saying makes sense to me. I just kind of want to be in on it, you know, so I don't mess up. I don't want to make things harder for you. So just clue me in. That's exactly it. Yeah. He's like open lines of communication so that we can be on a team together. Like, Brandon. I I know. (laughs) I I can't believe I'm like grinning like an idiot over here over Brandon Walsh. And we once got shat on (laughs) for hating Brandon. Honestly surprised it was only once. (laughs) That's, ain't that the truth? Well, that just tells you how many people listen to this show. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I have to point out that Susan said parentals instead of parents. And oh my God, if that didn't immediately like take me back to my AIM, like AOL instant messenger, like, oh, my parentals just went to sleep. BRB, got to close the door. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times. So real. Oh my gosh. And then when Brandon is waiting the appropriate amount of time to sneak upstairs, mm. this was so funny. And I was so mad he had his shoes on the whole time. It's like, me too. First, they're in the bed. Then you don't take them off to sneak around. What if you step on something? What or if your what shoe if- squeaks? Yes, the squeaks. Like, because these are, he always wears those like bigger bulkier sneakers and mm-hmm. so I'm like those are just rife for just basketball court squeaking exactly <laughs> and then Hamlet is at the top of the stairs <laughs> and I love that nothing works until he quotes Hamlet to him and then the dog is like mama yeah <laughs> he's like oh I'm a good boy I'll sit <laughs> I know that God, it was so cute, though. I love when dogs are on shows. <laughs> it was so good. But he makes oh. it upstairs, proceeds to fall asleep, because of course he does. Mm-hmm. Can't stay awake long enough to move, like, 200 feet away from her. 
God. And yeah, it's a whole th- – there's tension leading up to it where her mom's like, I'm just going to go wake her up, which mm-hmm. I don't care what age I am. I do not want my mother just coming into the room. Like, no, of course not. I I want you to ask me like three times, like knock on the door and be like, yes, who is it? It's your mother. Oh, hold on a moment. I'll come open the door for you. Mm-hmm. I just want to say Cindy did not barge in. That's true. Not mm-hmm. even at 16. Nope. And like Susan does not register that Brandon is still in the bed with her. Her mother is furious. And then we cut to Ruth back in the kitchen angrily cutting up cantaloupe. Mm-hmm. Because Susan willfully ignored her in her own house. Disrespected her under her roof. And Susan's had enough of it. And she calls her out. And then she walks out. And Brandon tries to go after her. And Ruth says no. But it's not initially that I will go talk to her. It's no one go talk to her. Mm-hmm. I just... I will say, like... What Susan said, it was such, like, an honest thing. Like, she was like, all the rules changed. And it wasn't just that all the rules changed because Catherine died and, of course, like, family dynamics change and literally stuff changes. It was more that the expectations of Susan were changed. And, God, you know, that... For someone like Susan, who clearly has been trying to just not rock the boat and be a good daughter and not be the creator of chaos, like, that's got to just be like, I'm doing everything right, but it's still not enough, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, like, that's that's almost exactly what she says, right? Like, she doesn't say it. She talks about her room turning into an office. But, like, that is it. That is what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And then well, and when she leaves, like Brandon says the same thing, essentially. She's he literally says, like, Susan's felt so much pressure to like live up to Catherine's name, live up to her older sister, and be the good daughter. And yeah, you know, Ruth says, like, oh, Susan is right, and I'm sorry that I've been rude. And then she does this, she says one of the worst things a human being can go through is losing a child, which I mean, I can only assume that's true. Like, I can't think of yeah. anything else, and I don't want to, and I refuse to, and, like, this is not something I would wish on anybody. Mm-hmm. And then she weirdly strokes Gerald's face, mm. which kind of, like, took me out of the moment. But she goes to talk to Susan, and Gerald says that the problem here is that Susan and Ruth are exactly alike. And I don't really see that. I didn't understand. I didn't understand in what way is Susan like Ruth. And maybe that's because we're not seeing how Ruth has always been and just post Catherine's death. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because she would have had a complete different personality. There's no way. But, you know, Gerald says that this blow up is the best thing that could have happened. And (sighs) hate the journey, love the end. Kind of a thing. Yeah. And, you know, we actually, I don't think we even see them reconciling. Like, that is a moment for Susan and her mom. Mm -hmm. Because I think the next time we see them is when Susan has fallen asleep in the car on the ride home because she's so emotionally exhausted from the three-day weekend they just had. 
Boy, do I identify with that. <laughs> I'm sure we all do. I just, yeah. And again, I appreciate Brandon letting her sleep and then like giving her a heads up, like when they're a little bit closer to home, just like, hey, you know, I don't want to bug you, but like we're getting close to home. You okay? Like, I think, I think Susan brings out the best in Brandon. I think so. And I mean, he even says like, oh, your mom's a nice lady. Like, I didn't have a bad time. Mm-hmm. Like. Sweet boy. Such a sweet boy. I love the growth. Like, the growth is real. Like, yeah, this, this is perfect. I'm just, <laughs> I was going through my, like, Google photos the other day, and I saw one of the screenshots we have from, like, season one, where he's, like, just a regular guy from Minnesota. <laughs> it's like, yes, you are. <laughs> like, oh, Brandon, you're so cute. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, they survived. I would say they didn't thrive, but the relationship probably took another step in the right direction. Like, it strengthened even more. I agree. So, Mary, do you want to tell us what else happened this week? Steve's mom bought Steve a bond once, and it's worth $20,000 now. He decides to spend it on a Harley. Claire hates it until she doesn't. The bond has matured. Unlike our baby boy. <laughs> that was a great line. That's about all I have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, literally, like, from the jump, Claire hates the idea, but still, like, wants to, I guess, be a good sport, hops on it, realizes she hates it even more, then gets served an ultimatum by Steve, like... Yeah, not okay. What did he say? Like, didn't he say he something like, like, it's either you get the helmet or someone else does? It, it was like, if we don't ride together, then I ride alone, which I took to insinuate, if you don't ride with me, I'm breaking up with you. Right. I'm like, and then, what? And it's like, he convinces her to get on it because he's like, it vibrates. Not in so many words, but he does. Yeah. And then they're, like, taking turns. She's really uncomfortable. And he's like, just lean into it with me. And she does. And then she has fun. And that's it. Yeah. Also, putting her name on the back of the helmet looked really ugly. And I feel like it was probably a little <laughs> off center. It looked kind of like, you know, remember at, like, the skating rink or the bowling alley? You know, the, like, you put the quarter in to get those tattoo things. Like, twist the thing and it comes out. And it's usually the alien one or something. Mm -hmm. It looked like those. <laughs> oh, I wish we had seen that. He was like, it just happened to say Claire. <laughs> right? <laughs> and spelled exactly as yours is spelled. It accidentally said, like, Annie on it. It's <laughs> like, I tried. I couldn't get Claire. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah, that's it. Steve has no story. Nothing else is new. And that's it. Mary, what else happened this week? Joe's brother Hank visits to tell Joe not to get experimental surgery and to tell Donna that this conversation is none of your business, thanks. Joe tells Donna that Hank just doesn't want him to get his hopes up because Hank's football dreams were crushed by a knee injury. Donna says Hank is jealous that you might have the opportunity to go farther with football than he could. She also shares that theory with Hank. 
Hank tells Joe that the family won't stand in the way of his decision, then goes back to the Northeast where he presumably gets a job with the United Parcel Service. He's got a package. Oh my god. Legitimately almost spat out my entire water. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, like, I was like, oh crap, crap, crap. <laughs> yes. Love I had it. to sneak it in there. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, what a moment. What a guest star. I know. And it like this was only like I think 5 years before he becomes the, the UPS, UPS guy. man. <laughs> yeah, and you know, they never name him in Legally Blonde, so he could be named Hank. It's true. It would be easy. It would be very easy. I mean, this, I mean, yeah. He blew out his knee, couldn't have his football career, but he still wants to like do physical work. So he gets a job with UPS. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I love, I just love any time that like your family calls you by a name different than what you go by because he calls Joe Joseph. And I just thought that was adorable. Yeah. I wrote that down. I was like, he's Hank. He calls Joe Joseph. Mm-hmm. And it's a really good cast. Like, yeah. they look really similar. Mm-hmm. I agree. And he's pretty immediately a butthead. Yeah. He's very much like, mm, no, even though like you're all excited about getting this heart surgery, absolutely not because it's a family matter. Yeah. He literally says that and it's just like, please go away now. Mm-hmm. And I love that Joe is like, her father's a cardiologist. And I just wrote in my notes, so my dad's a <laughs> consultant. Well, yeah. And like, I, I don't know, the fact that he was just so willing to be like, I'm going to come all the way from uh, Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, out to Los Angeles, California, or Beverly Hills, California, to tell Donna to butt out. Like, you couldn't do that over the phone. Yeah, he's just, like, offended that they didn't talk to the family. Mm-hmm. Also, like, are they the mob? Like, the family. Like, I know. Have, like, a board to represent the family? He's like, I'm sorry, you did not come to your brothers and your father and your mm-hmm. uncles to decide what to do with your heart. Exactly. Like, this is what bothers me, because Donna does leave, and Joe comes by to see her later and is like, Hank is still unsure, You know, he doesn't even want to talk about it. He tries to change the subject, Mm -hmm. but Donna pushes back. And this is when Joe says that his brother blew out his knee and went through three surgeries and nothing worked and he didn't want to see the same thing to happen to Joe. But that was your knee and this is Joe's heart. Joe could die. Well, and you have to think too, like the the term blew out his knee could mean ACL, MCL, meniscus – LCL like any of the CLs in your in your knee and obviously within the last 30 years they've gotten doctors have gotten way better and more sophisticated with ACL and ligament surgeries in general for the knee but you have to wonder like it could have just been an an initial ACL surgery a scope to get fragments cleaned up and then another and then he just never came back from it right? Like Mm -hmm. it's entirely possible that the surgeries were fine, but your body did not react the way that you wanted it to, to play football, but you're still fine walking around doing whatever you want to do to your point. 
this is Joe's heart. Even if the surgery goes well, he could still like have side effects that are a lot more dire than a knee problem. Well, and if he doesn't have the surgery, like what? He takes yeah. the stairs too fast and he dies? Yeah. I mean, like there's medication he can take, but he's he's definitely not playing sports and he's probably, yeah, not doing any sort of physical exertion beyond, you know, normal. Yeah, I think there is, you know, a big quality of life difference between a knee surgery and a heart surgery, personally. And, like, I understand, you know, knee surgery, (sighs) losing your, you know, playing career, that's Mm -hmm. huge. Oh, for sure. Them equating him blowing out his knee and Joe having a heart problem that could kill him, big difference in my mind. Yeah, like I would I would say like instead of equating that, like going the cuz at, at the very beginning he says he calls it an experimental heart surgery or mm-hmm. heart procedure, which is true. Like this is experimental. I would have been totally fine with him using that as a deterrent rather than mm-hmm. like the whole football angle. Yeah, but they really dig into the football angle because mm-hmm. the next day, I guess Donna goes to meet Hank who apologizes for how he treated her the day before, but then says, like, I don't think he should have surgery just to play football. And Donna calls him out on it. She's like, I'd respect it if that's how you actually feel, but I don't think that's it. But then she accuses him of being glad that Joe can't play football anymore because it means that he can't have the career that Hank didn't get to have. And that is a bold accusation. Donna Martin. Yeah, for somebody she just met. And this is the problem with the Donna's always right story is like, that's a dick thing to say to someone you just met. And then they're like, oh, no, she's right. I'm sorry. You should have experimental heart surgery. Well, especially, too, because, like, it would be different if Joe didn't have a great relationship with Hank. But Joe kind of, like, idolizes Hank. And so presumably – Donna's only ever heard positive things about Hank from Joe. So then on top of that, to then be like, no, I know you better. And I just met you yesterday. Like, I mean, you're right. It doesn't really add up. No, it's the same thing with I know hearts better than my dad, who's a cardiologist. Yeah, for sure. It's just it's not landing with me. And then as soon as she like drops that bomb the camera zooms in on her face really fast before going to the sting. And I was like, what is happening here? Mm-hmm. It's It was just wild and it works. Like the episode ends with Hank saying they're not going to – the family won't stand in the way of the surgery and Donna I'm should come to Beaver you. Falls. I'm telling you, the family is like – what do they call it? The the Council of Vampires in Twilight? What they, like the Volturi or whatever? Like that's what the family is. <laughs> Just picturing them as hissing Catholics. <laughs> so when he yes. says that he Joe has some nieces that would love to meet Donna, it's so that they can eat her. Or at least turn her. They're like, she's old enough. <laughs> Yeah, I guess Joe's getting the surgery. Like, it's a little unclear if he's actually going to do it. He just more has permission. He has the blessing of the family. He has the blessing of the family. 
his 21-year-old girlfriend who knows things told him it it's be, right because she saw it on the move money channel network it would be really funny if like the joke is really on us this entire time and donna's pre-med <laughs> <laughs> i would love to know what donna does like what is her thing Couldn't they're gonna graduate you. next year from four years of college and none like we're not gonna know what any of their degrees are all we know is Kelly is psychology and Brandon is maybe political science and journalism. I would assume Steve is generic business. Or communications. Just like, or even just management. Claire is majoring yeah. in like four things. Yeah, she's like somehow majoring in like Russian literature or something. Yeah, they're and all going to like. <laughs> yes. They're all going to technically get her nowhere altogether. But she'll Wait, somehow make it happen. I think she did say she's like art history and something else with a minor in another something. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause she was in like a computer class or a design yeah. class with David. I mean, realistically, though, I could see her like saying that, but pulling like Alina Luther on this and having like biomedical engineering. And also, for some reason, business, you know, like, 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 that's what, it's going to make no sense to us that she yeah. put all these things together. And then she's going to be like, actually, I work for the CIA. Yeah. Or like she's the CEO of a company or something and works in their R&D department and still has a lab. Like, I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be a lot of things. Yes. And yet nothing. It doesn't. <laughs> But yeah, that's just going to get the surgery. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention, because I was just scrolling through my notes and I realized we didn't talk about it, was when Steve convinces Claire to get on his motorcycle, she is wearing these like lime green satin pants. And I loved them. <laughs> One of my favorite like things about this show is how unrealistic their wardrobes are. Well, and I feel like, Claire usually does have good style. Like, she's probably had the best hair Most thus of the far. Time. Yeah, like, out of everybody. And her outfits are usually good, too. Yeah, that was the last thing I wanted to mention. Cool. Okay, quote of the week time. What do you guys have? Um, Brandon. Alrighty. <laughs> um... When Steve said he had the bond mature and Claire goes, too bad we can't say the same for the baby boy. And Colin at the end going, damn, I got coke on me. <laughs> oh, Colin. Um, I feel like most of my quotes are, were, were just kind of like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And I wrote down what they said because why the fuck would you say that in this situation? Like Ruth walking in on her daughter and Brandon in bed together. And she says, I beg your pardon. <laughs> and then. God. Okay. Susan's dad to Brandon when they're sitting there at the table. Once mom goes to talk to Susan, this is the best thing that could have happened. Who are you people? Like if, Okay, Susan's parents are aliens. 
They're they actually trying to call her Ruth. <laughs> like, they're almost like, I'm trying to think of that movie or TV show or something where the parents actually were aliens. Uh, what was it? The Coneheads? I mean, that is one. <laughs> it's I the only know. one I have. Yeah. I, maybe it was like, I don't know. I'm not going to think of it. Let's move on. Yeah, I also wrote down, damn, I have Coke on me. Yeah, I did write that one down. But so my quotes of the week are um, definitely the, well, alrighty by Brandon. And then one that I did say, but we just didn't repeat, uh, when Donna and Claire are visiting Kelly and they see the cute doctor and Claire's like, or Donna says, well, my mom always told me to marry a doctor. And it was just, they giggle afterwards. And it was just like, it felt like roommates again, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was sweet. They're so cute. Okay, Mary. Do you have a moment? What is it? Is it all of the friends watching TV going, is that Colin's van? <laughs> <laughs> that would be it is. It is literally the moment that I realized that Hank is the fucking UPS guy from Legally Blonde. <laughs> so within the first like five minutes. <laughs> well, I wondered about it for about half that episode. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was the scene where Donna was just like, you're just jealous that your brother's going to be better and go further with football than you. Mm-hmm. And his face, I was just like, okay, I'm Googling him. Who the fuck is he? And then I like realized and freaked the fuck out. Yeah, and I like I w- I didn't realize it from the guest stars because I didn't know his name, you mm-hmm. know the actor's name. I just knew UPS guy. I just knew his face. Mm-hmm. I have an honorable mention to uh, Danny Five showing up on Colin's doorstep. Like he doesn't live close to Colin. How did he get to Colin's? And also, like technically, as a dealer. I don't know if it's the other way around, but it's like, aren't you technically not supposed to know each other's addresses of their homes? I mean, this is why it's a sting. Why he True. was getting Colin. Good point. Good point. Like, yeah, because like you had to get a ride to Colin. Why couldn't that ride take you to where you needed to go? Exactly. Yep. Anyway, yeah, I just got really hung up on that. So those were like my last two notes. <laughs> it's a fair thing to get hung up on. It made no sense that he was just there and then was like, oh, by the way, I don't have a car. Like public transit is not that good. Yeah. Well, we did it. What's next week, Caitlin? We have season six, episode 24, coming out, getting out going out okay so getting out could be kelly and colin getting out of rehab in prison respect jail respectfully um was it coming out getting out going out Mm -hmm. so going out someone's going on a date um coming out someone's gay we shall see yeah that's the obvious answers to all of those things but it's all (laughs) i got
so yeah I guess we will see next week. And until then, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Back2Podcast. You can also let us know your thoughts, questions, your comments, or your concerns at Back2Podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family. All that stuff really helps us get seen and build a community. And then we can give y'all a better product. And if you leave us a review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the show because we appreciate you. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, all I want to know is, are you sleeping with my daughter? I'm a toe-headed, blue-eyed baby boy, and my bond has matured, but not me. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. See ya.